Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. If you're like me, quarantined, locked up, <laughs> not locked up, but that's what it feels like, right? Um, There's it, it, so many challenges and, and obstacles. I have received so many messages from people feeling like a burden, uh, feeling like they're isolated, to feeling hopeless. Uh, However, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you from feeling like a burden to feeling like a blessing, from feeling isolated to feeling connected, from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, and we will get through this together. With that said, Let's get into the episode. Uh, welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. I'm with Dr. Raymond Normand, who uh, you might recognize from my very second episode. Uh, he, he was the first guest that I had on, and he talked about, you know, that, that episode was titled, What's Bothering You? Which has changed the way I journaled forever, because um, I, I remember going home that night and realizing... So many things bother me. And uh, mm-hmm. I like the word bother because um, it, in our daily vocabulary, it, we usually talk about anger um, or upset. But bother is, is a much it's a much subtler, more specific term. Uh, so yeah. so thank you for stepping up my journaling game. Oh, thank you, Leo. Thank you for having me. Um, today, I, I want to talk about um, talking about what's bothering you is uh, managing emotions, which, I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, a, a lot of that comes, uh, it's tied to managing expectations, right? Uh, well, yeah, ex- <clears throat> I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, usually the more expectations people have, the more they're setting themselves up for disappointment. Now, I'm not, it's not bad to have expectations. As human beings, we all have expectations. Um, but when it comes to managing your emotions, a lot of times when a person is able to identify what it is that exactly they're looking for, um, and they can taper their expectations to something that's reasonable, I think it becomes easier for them to manage whatever feelings it is that they are experiencing in the moment. So, like when you said um, tapering it to something that's easier to manage, it's it's almost like we do have this thing where we try to bite off more than we can chew. And exactly. Instead of saying, you know, I want to make, uh, you know, I want I want a three percent raise. We want to we want the boss's office and a thousand percent raise. Right, right. And actually, I think the coronavirus whole situation that's going on right now is a very good application of this. Because a lot of people are having a lot of hardship and a lot of it is tied into, you know, people want to work, people need to make money, they're not making money, which is very important. Like we need money to run society. But at the same time, I think it's a very unique opportunity because I think our culture has kind of adopted money and wealth as a kind of distraction, kind of taking away from really looking at what is important in life. Like, what are the real values that we should be living for? Um, I think so, back to expectations, I think a lot lot of people have had such high expectations financially and materially that one of the reasons why this coronavirus thing is really bothering people is that it's not allowing them to actualize what it is that they want. They want money, and a lot of times they... Security is, is, is an important thing to have, but, you know, how much money do you actually need? People want big toys. You know, why do people want these big toys? Why do you need to have such a huge house? Why do you need multiple cars? And look, this is not everybody. I'm not saying that everyone does this. But I think it's safe to say that a lot of times we feel like we need what actually we want. We don't really need it. But we've, con- we've been convinced that this thing we want, we actually need it. And that really sets a person up for getting disappointed and having a lot of anxiety and having a lot of depression. Some people even get suicidal, you know, because they feel like they can't measure up. They can't get to where they need to be. 
You know, can, can we tap more into that comparison? Because with social media and, and, and uh, the news, it, it's so hard not to compare yourself to other people um, when it's just thrown in your face. Even if you try to avoid it, either even if you, you're not tuning in to social media, your friends are telling you about what other people are doing, about what they're doing, or, or your parents are putting this pressure on you. How does one manage the expectations of others and uh, and comparing yourself to others? Right. So there's a lot of expectation that exists. And like you're saying, that even in the social group you're a part of, maybe even your family members, they are instilling certain pressures onto you that, you know, you have to be this. You have to look like this. You have to be making this much money. You have to, you know, have these toys. You have to have this image. Now, you're right in that, that that's very hard. It's very hard if you, you are perpetually around these, these kind of messages. So what's very important is to either really stop and really think to yourself, what is it that's important to you? And or, you know, maybe be more selective in the people you decide to be around. You know, with your family, you don't really get to select the people in your family. You just you kind of have that, um, which I think is fine. And there's a lot to learn from that. When it comes to friendships, when it comes to acquaintances, I think we have a little bit more free will there. We can select who we decide to spend time with, and we can select who we decide not to spend time with. It's so true. I have friends who um, I haven't cut off, but I have put them on the bench mm-hmm. and or suspended, you know, and just said, you know what? I need a break. I need space between us. And uh, and maybe at some point I'm healthier, you're healthier. We're both at a place where we can really connect and and uh, and our values align. But right now, uh, and, and what I'm trying to do in the path that I'm on, um, you know, I, I just don't you're not a good fit for that journey. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. And there's nothing wrong with not saying it and just uh, not returning the phone calls and uh, okay. And, and, you know, until you're you're in a place where you feel like uh, the, the relationship would uh, be mutually uh, uh, beneficial. But, yeah, there's no need to expose yourself to people who you feel like are toxic or weighing you down. And you know that from your energy. Mm-hmm. Right. When you see the when you see their name or their face pop up on your on your phone, you know, just look at look at your body language and the way you breathe and. Um, you know, are you excited? Are you happy? Are you calm? Are you, are you like closing off and, um, you know, uh, slouching your shoulders, uh, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think actually the whole coronavirus quarantine that's been imposed all around the world, it really has created such a great platform for people to experience diminished distractions and really start to think about themselves and their life to really reflect at a time where I think our world was going like at about a thousand miles an hour. So this whole quarantine puts it, puts a pause, which I think in a way is a, is a very big gift if you learn to see it that way, because it allows you to slow down your engines. It allows you to really stop to contemplate and to really have like a check of your life. You know, where are you? How did you get here? How does your scene look? Are you okay with it? Does it match up with what you thought you wanted? Does it meet your expectations or does it not meet your expectations? And if it doesn't, how come? Maybe there's something wrong with the expectation or maybe there's something that needs improvement in the way you're living your life. So, for example, you could be more selective in the people that you pick. At the same time, like I said, in terms of family, you know, if you're married to somebody, if you have children, um, Generally, there's less an ability to just cut people off. I, I know people do it. People get separated. People have cutoffs. People don't speak to your to, to each other for years. Um, I'm not necessarily a proponent of that. I think that when you cut off, uh, which I don't even know if this is what you meant, but in, in our field, when I think about cut off, because you can just select a different group of people to be with. But if there is something like a cutoff taking place, usually that's an indication of anxiety and there is a wealth of information that can be gathered from trying to go into that and saying, what exactly is your feeling toward that person? What is it that makes you feel like you need to cut off from that person? Because chances are that 
that person is probably igniting a vulnerability inside you that you may or may not be aware of. So I think what... Can you go a little deeper into that when you say uh, igniting a vulnerability inside of you? uh, Can you speak more to that? Yeah, uh, sure. So for example, let's say in your childhood, you had a certain relationship with your mother or father, or maybe you had a best friend. And let's say you got really hurt by something they said or they did. And you didn't really talk about it, and this pattern just keeps perpetuating itself. And let's say you find yourself a romantic partner. I mean, this happens very frequently. So that you marry somebody who resembles someone like your mom or your dad. And you have, you have unresolved issues in connection to them. I think what a lot of people have done, uh, and society has kind of made it quote-unquote acceptable, is that, for example, once people get together and the honeymoon phase is over, after a few years, they're like, you know what, I, I don't like you, I don't like you, we're not having fun, like, let's divorce, let's stop this thing. Now, I'm not necessarily against divorce, but I do think that it is being used a lot. Um, it's kind of like get out of, get out of jail free card. Um, not to say that marriage is jail, but I think anytime you get into a committed relationship, there is going to be pressure. And I think if you get really honest with yourself and go into your feelings, you start to realize that the things that bother you about your partner, um, the root of it is actually somewhere else, i.e. it could be igniting a similar wound that you had maybe with your father or your mother or your friends or your brother and sister or other family member that just was not addressed. So now it's like the universe has brought this person out to really help you out, to realize, oh, you have unfinished business from the past. So really, when hardship hits, when you answer that question, what's bothering you, there is so much gold waiting for you under there, but you just have to learn how to see it. Can all right? Can we backtrack just a little bit? Because you, you talked about sure. needs versus wants, and I think, uh, and and even I still struggle with it. What what do we really need? And and then you know what is it that we really want? I assume that the wants are more external and the needs are more internal. But can you can you talk more about that? That's a very good question because I think especially in our society that line is blurred major. I think a lot of people misprioritize things, um, which gives them a lot of anxiety and depression. And again, some people even get suicidal. Some people go into drugs because the level of confusion and the blur is so high. So what happens is that what you need, okay, we all need food. We all need shelter. Like that's, that's good to go. Um, then you got to ask yourself, okay, what kind of life do you want? What kind of lifestyle do you want to have? And then if you're really motivated, then you can go into exploring like, okay, why do you want that lifestyle? Why is it so important to you to live this kind of life? So it's really hard for me to give a blanket statement um, about what each person needs. But I think I'm going to go out, I'm going to venture to guess that I think aside from the basic needs of food and shelter, uh, what people really want is acknowledgement. People want to feel like they're important. People want to feel like they're valuable and they're special, that they belong and they're accepted. And before you can actually get that from other people, I think you have to give it to yourself. So you have to be able to live based on a certain set of values. And I think when you live based on the right values, um, this is something I speak with my patients a lot about. When you learn how to live based on the right values and you make the right things your foundation and you have a commitment to practice that life, you will become so much happier because when you live that life, you become more connected to yourself because once you become more connected to yourself, that's what enables you to connect with other people. You know, there is no such thing as you having great connections with other people and not having a good connection with yourself. It doesn't exist. Now, some people might pretend like they have that, but that's all it is. It's a pretend. Because it's very easy to act like you're connected. It's very, it's very easy to act like you have a lot of friends. You know, you got a thousand friends on Facebook. You got all these followers on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. You know, that's easy to do. You create an image of yourself so you look really cool and really valuable to the people outside. But if that is where you're getting your worth from, it's a very risky proposition. Because that means you are basically placing your self-esteem and confidence 
your identity in other people's hands. And that's not a very wise thing to do. On the other hand, what is wise to do is if you clarify these values, and I'm usually pretty big on truth. I think if you put truth as the foundation of your life and you make being a truthful person, having integrity, being a kind person, if you make these the goals of your life, you will probably have a higher level of life satisfaction. You will feel happier. You will feel calmer. You will feel more grounded. And you will feel like you have more inner peace. And you bring that to all of your relationships with people around you. That is is so insightful because I think when we, traditionally when I've thought about truth, I've thought about like telling the truth of like, did you do this or didn't you do this? And, right. and, and as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that the, the truth is also the truth of how you feel. Because uh, a lot mm-hmm. of us will say, oh, oh, that made me upset or they made me angry. When really the truth is it scared the hell out of you. Exactly. It terrified you. But it's not right. your fault because we don't have that expanded vocabulary, most of us, that expanded vo- emotional vocabulary to really know what the truth of how we how we're how of how we're feeling what we're feeling of, of yeah. how we're feeling and uh can, can you talk more about how people can get to the truth of how they're feeling right so understand that as human beings we do have psychological defense mechanisms everyone has it we're born with them uh, we develop them as time goes on. And the purpose behind these defense mechanisms is that our anxiety gets so high. We get so uncomfortable in certain situations. For example, maybe certain feelings are so overwhelming for us. Maybe we've been traumatized by different experiences in our lives where, you know, couple that with living in an environment where it's not okay to be vulnerable. Couple that with being in an atmosphere where if you tell the truth, you're going to be shunned. People are going to criticize you. People are going to call you names. People are going to devalue you. You know, it's very hard to live in our world. We live in a world that sometimes says it values truth, but it doesn't really. And I'll give you a really good example of that. You know, I think it's very popular nowadays. We tell people, oh, you know what? Be yourself. You can do whatever you want. And it sounds very attractive and sexy and alluring. But once you start acting outside a certain guideline, those same people who tell you, oh, just be yourself, you can do whatever you want, they're the ones who want to come and hit you on top of the head. You know, it's a mixed message. If you tell someone, you know, you can tell me whatever you want, and then you tell them exactly what you want to say, but then they get really pissed off at you. It's like, wait a minute, you just told me I'm, I'm free to say whatever I want. But now you're getting mad at me for saying what I really want. Like, what do you really mean? Do you want me to be honest or do you not want me to be honest? And I think that's a dialogue that we learn as kids. Because a lot of times as grownups, we, t- we might tell people, yeah, yeah, you can say whatever you want. You can feel whatever you want. But once they tell the truth, we immediately jump and object. And what, what message is that sending people? What's, what message that is sending people is that don't, don't listen to what I'm saying just kind of follow the crowd, follow the pressure, and, you know, just fit in, just conform to what everyone is doing, which I think is a recipe for a lot of mental health issues. You know, talk about having low self-esteem, again, the anxiety, the depression, suicidality, relationship problems, you know, addiction, you know, all of these are coming from a very similar root in that people are not getting in touch with the way they really feel. And I really like what you said in terms of the, the anger part. It's like, you're scared. Like, dude, you're scared. That's what it really comes down to. And it really comes down to the person about how deep they want to go. I believe that, you know, with time, if you make it a goal to get to the truth and the absolute truth about how you really feel and what you really want in life, uh, things are looking up. Like, that is a really great way to live. And unfortunately, it seems like that's not a very popular way of living in our society. Well, um, I think there's a there's a loss aversion because if 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 I'm in a relationship, uh, you know, with family, with friends, uh, whoever, uh, significant other, mm-hmm. and then I really start to 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 tell the truth about 
how I feel and what I think and how I see the world, then uh, there's a fear that I'm going to lose you. I'm going to lose the connection. I'm going to lose the friendships. I'm going to lose my circle. I'm going to lose my network. And there, there's no greater fear than a fear of, I mean, uh, of, of loss. And uh, how do you how do you talk someone through through that thinking? Because I don't even think they're aware of that. That that's the, the at, that's one of the root uh, causes of their fear. You are one hundred percent right, Leo. We are so on board with this. I am so happy you said that because there is a dilemma, and you spoke right to it. You know, a lot of reason why people lie is because they think they're going to get ahead. You know, think about when people lie in situations about how someone asks, when someone asks you, how are you doing? I think 99% of the time people say, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. Something very positive, which there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to ask yourself, why are you saying that? If it's not true, why are you saying that? Usually if people are saying that and it's not true, it's because they want the other side to like them. They don't want to ruffle feathers with the other side. So what happens when you continue to tell one lie, one lie after another after another? Before you know it, you know, taking it to an extreme, you've created a life for yourself, which is based on lies. It's not who you really are. And basically, you've attracted a bunch of people to you based on this facade that you've created for yourself and for other people. So when it comes to asking the question about how do you reconcile, well, sometimes it's straight up, it's just hard. Sometimes you got to pick, you know, there's an anxiety of a dilemma, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too, as the saying goes, especially in intimate relationships, you know, you might open up based on the kind of intimacy you want to establish for the relationship. And there is that risk. The whole risk of being vulnerable is you don't know how the other side is going to react. And that's, that can be very nerve wracking, but the more a person develops self-confidence and self-worth the more you learn how to internally validate yourself and live an upright life for yourself and be honest with yourself, then it becomes easier to take those risks. Because if your goal is to be honest with yourself and to be have integrity and to have, be a kind person, then you're going to realize that, you know what, this is what you bring to the table. And if these are the values that are important to you, then you might want to say it in the context of the relationships at times when you think it's going to be appropriate. And you're going to find out who that person really is. You're going to find out if they can meet you there, if they're willing to go there, or if they kind of don't want to go there, if they shut it off, if they're going to shun you. And if they run away, it's good to know that now than tomorrow. I mean, it's hard, but again, if you want to live that life where you have honest, honest relationships, and again, I'm not advocating that you should say everything that's on your mind. What I'm saying is that, you know, every relationship gets to a point where it gets tested and, you know, something happens and you're like, should I tell them and risk losing them or should I not tell them kind of violate my own integrity and just kind of value the relationship more? So it becomes a question of what's more important, you or the relationship? And the follow up question to that is why? You know, so so powerful because yeah, you end up losing yourself, right? And uh, as you as you start to sequester, suppress um, who how you really feel, who you really are, the thoughts that you really have, and and then you know your partner looks at you like like who are you? I don't even know you anymore, and and that that it starts to there's a compound effect of that, right? Like the conversations right. aren't as lively. The sex diminishes. There's like it. It like you can't suppress uh, who, how you feel, and who you are, uh, and and not think that it is not going to have a negative uh, uh, effect on the on the relationship. And I think, yeah, you know, I was reading this book on the neuroscience of suicidality, mm-hmm. and it said two two of the main components of suicidality. One was uh, feeling like a burden. Um, and a loss of hope, but the other was mental pain. And I, and, mm-hmm. I, and as we're talking about this, because I, I was like, I wonder, because they didn't, and not at least not in a way that I understood it, uh, it, got really into describing mental pain, even though I understand what they, I understand it on a surface level, but I, I just hope, I just wish they had gotten a little deeper. 
But I think that part of the mental pain is when you are suppressing your your emotions, that there's this mental pain that starts to take place, the headaches, uh, the back aches. I think parts of your body, it shows up in your body uh, as something else. And, 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 and you go to the doctor and you put ice and you take a pill and it comes back and, and nothing alleviates it until you actually uh, uh, align with the truth and express that. Can, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, look, our body is out for homeostasis. It's always looking for balance. So if we experience pain, there are two ways we can go about doing it, uh, addressing it. One is that we can be direct about it. And, you know, that's a way to get it out usually the fastest. Or we can kind of push it to the back burner for whatever reason. And our body will feel it and it will manifest itself in physical symptoms. So, you know, pain is... Pain happens. You can't run away from it. But you get to decide, you get to decide what kind of impact it has on you. Are you going to let it, let it break you or are you going to let it make you grow? Because pain is required to grow. The only time we grow as people is when we go through pain. We go through hardship. So really it's about how you look at the experience you're going through. Remember that pain hurts, but it's not bad. I think a lot of times people have this association that pain is bad. Pain equals bad, but it's not necessarily so. Pain is just there to tell you that something needs your attention. You need to pay attention to it. You need to attend to it. And if you don't, you know, it's like your body's saying, okay, fine. If you don't pay attention to it now, I'll reel my, I'll, I will rear my head in a different way and you may not like it. And that's why you get a lot of people who get to very severe situations for example, suicidality or someone who's talking about alcohol or drug addiction. These people who have these problems don't get there overnight. These things, the suicidality or the addictions to drugs or alcohol or, or anything of that nature, that is a product of an accumulation of unresolved pain. When a person allows the pain to grow and grow and grow, pain is very powerful and it's ruthless it'll make an entrance however it wants to. And it might come out in very extreme ways, whether it's in a way the person says like, you know what, I just want to kill myself. I want to end it. They're not crazy. They're just hurting a lot. And the thing is, because our society is not very um, into talking about pain, people kind of live through life and pick up this idea that I can't talk about my pain. People are going to look at me funny. People are not going to be my friends anymore. People won't have nothing to do with me anymore. And that doesn't feel good. So people lie and they create these stories to kind of give this image. And then all of a sudden, you know, stuff happens. And you, you see it on the news, you hear, hear it on the internet at times. And it's like, wow, this person committed suicide. Or wow, this person has a drug problem or alcohol problem. Wow, if I didn't know better, it looks like they had everything. Yeah, that's what they wanted to show you. Because they were just doing what society teaches people, which is to prioritize the way you look, focus on the image, and the rest takes care of itself. But it's actually not so. It's actually the opposite. When you spend so much time focusing on the image, when you spend so much effort trying to build up that facade, and you start to fortify that mask, all you're doing is you're, you're compounding your own pain. Now, not to say that you shouldn't have a mask. We all have a mask. Like, I even say this to patients. Like, I'm a doctor, so I introduce myself as Dr. Raymond. I have that Dr. Raymond mask. You know, I dress in a suit and tie. That's like my uniform. Calculated mask. And the calculation goes like this. I know that you're coming to me with a problem. You are paying me money to help you with this problem. And I know enough about human nature to know that we judge people. We see people and we make judgments off the bat. Whether you like it or not, that's the truth. That's how we are as people. So I know that if I introduce myself as a doctor, if I'm dressed in this dapper way with a suit and tie, and I look a certain way, you are more likely to place more value in my words than if, I'm, if I just go by Raymond and I'm wearing you know, t-shirt, shorts, and a flip-flop. So my point is masks do exist. It's kind of how the way the world works. But the problem is, is when you overinvest in the mask, you wear it for so long that you forget it's a mask. 
it actually fuses onto a part of your body. And that is where a lot of the troubles stem from. So the, the, the key for, for treatment, like truth, you have to be truthful. And it's hard. That's why people like me are in business, you know, really to help people give an objective understanding of their life so that they can really understand. You know, sometimes people say, oh, that was so annoying. How did that make you feel? Oh, it was interesting. I was like, really interesting? Well, interesting can mean 101 things. You know, annoying can mean a lot of things. Really, let's get to the bottom of what do you really mean? Does it make you anxious? Does it make you uncomfortable? Do you, do you feel scared? Do you feel like there's no way out? Do you feel like you're imprisoned? Do you feel trapped? You know, these are all more descriptive words that give you a better indication of what the person is actually experiencing. You know, the, when, I, when I journal, um, and not every time, but recently I, I've lost a couple people and to, 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 to different things, and I bawled my eyes out journaling. Um, mm. but, excuse me, but in my, my girlfriend was upstairs, and, you know, I bawled my eyes out quietly because I didn't want her to hear or see me uh, crying. And uh, mm-hmm. and I went for a walk the other day and, and it just bawled my eyes out. It's amazing the emotions that come up with, when you don't have the distractions. Like you said, like this is the time for where we have diminished distractions, which I think uh, lends itself to to maximizing connections, right, with ourselves and, and right. with the people in our life. Correct. Absolutely. And really, if you... T- happiest times of your life i hope that you know what in the future people are going to look back and they're going to identify the year 20 as the year that it all changed the time that life changed it's the time when people started living more thoughtfully mindfully and they actually started to live a life more purposefully and that would be amazing uh point if we reach that and we can do that and you can do it in your individual lives but you have to make that decision. You have to see it. You have to make sense out of it. And you have to be like, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to make the best out of this, of this situation. I don't want to be sitting around twiddling my thumbs, waiting for all this to end. And be like, oh, I can't believe it's not over yet. When am I going to go do this and that and that? It's like, no, this is my time to recharge. This is my stop, think, think about the things that are really important to me. You know, these people you say that are important to you, this is a good time to assess like, okay, you say they're important to you. How do you act towards these people? How do you talk towards these people? Do you act in a loving way towards these people that you say that you love? You know, are you acting kindly? Are you spending enough time? Because now I think more than ever, you can just call someone up and be like, hey, I'm thinking about you. And you can actually actually have that conversation. They, they can't say, oh, I got to go to work. They can't say, oh, I got to go pick up the kids. They can't say, oh, I got to go get the dry cleaning. Like, they can't say that. It doesn't fly anymore. It doesn't work, at least not for now. So really, it's a golden opportunity. And I really hope that people who are listening to this, like, really see that we are so lucky to have this. This is like the break you can never plan for. And I think that's what makes it so special. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend yesterday about uh, recharging and she was talking about how she noticed that when she watches television, it doesn't recharge her. And mm-hmm. and, I, and she was asking me about how I recharge. And, and I was like, yeah, I noticed the same thing that TV, um, you know, like maybe one a half hour or an hour, maybe. But uh, more than mm-hmm. that, it, it's, right. it, it, it's there's diminishing returns on that. Can you talk to us about what are a few ways that people can recharge it. And then also what are ways that people think they, that helps them recharge it, but doesn't actually, actually drains them. Right. Sure. I mean, number one, I think you alluded to journaling, I think is a very constructive way for a person to recharge. You know, if a person likes to go on a solitary hike or going to hike with somebody, but you're not talking. And I really say that because even talking or social interaction can be a distraction. Um, so the more time I think you spend alone, whether it's journaling, whether you're hiking or you're spending other times that's in solitude, you are really setting yourself up 
for a position to really focus and think about yourself. And also, of course, there's therapy. You know, therapy is a is an arrangement where a professional is completely and solely supposed to be focused on you and what you're talking about and what you're going through. So what all these three have in common, the journaling, the solitary activity and therapy, is that you're you're forced to focus on yourself. You're forced to th- forced to think about yourself, examine yourself, contemplate whatever is going on in your mind and start to make decisions. Because life is just an accumulation of decisions. And when you're coming from a clearer place, then your actions are going to reflect that because the source of it is coming from a cleaner place. So other activities that I think seem like they're recharging, like you said, but they're actually not. I think one of them could be if you overdo television. Like you said, you know, and and I when I say television, it's also it can be movies, it can be music, it can be going on the internet, reading news and all that stuff. Because it's taking you outside yourself. I mean, it can be helpful insofar as it provides you a temporary distraction, a temporary relief from whatever you're going through, which is what we do. You know, as people, we need distractions at time um, just to give us give our minds a break. Uh, number two, I think you have to take certain social gatherings with a grain of salt. Um, because, again, we have social needs. I think it's very good to be social but to be social with the right people. You know, if you're around people who they're gossiping a lot and they're just talking about things that you really don't connect to and you don't really relate to and you don't know how it's going to make you have a better life, well, then you have to consider your participation in those gatherings and those activities. And you have to ask yourself, like, what am I really getting out of this? Is this adding from my life or is it detracting from my life? And then the third one, again, it's, it's on the fence. Exercise is really good. I'm a big proponent of exercise. And it could be very well a constructive activity. But you have to ask yourself, why are you exercising? If you're over-exercising, if you're exercising like seven days a week, three hours a day, you know, then you start, we start wondering about like, are you doing this for health reasons or are you trying to distract yourself again from something that deeper that needs your attention you know are you trying to compensate for some kind of self-esteem issue low confidence issue um you know do you want to look good so that people will think you look good and it's like your whole weight is on looking good and you're doing it because you you think you need validation from other people to feel good about yourself so really any of these um it can go either way so whether it's the television um, you know, whether it's the exercising or the other thing I said that I don't remember right now, um, or the going out, the social gatherings, the people you associate with, these can be good, but you have to be careful how you use it, what your intention behind these behaviors are, because you have to ask yourself, is this helping me learn more about myself or is it really pushing me further away from getting to know myself? You, you, you know, it, it's so valuable because, right, so many people spend so much time, so many couples especially, you know, spend so much time in front of the television, mm-hmm. um, especially now. Like TV, I have friends who are like, we've already run out of movies and TV shows. And I'm like, what? Like there's there are literally millions of movies and TV shows between Prime, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. And, and Apple, now right. there's Apple Plus. And then you have YouTube that has movies and TVs. So the fact that you ran out, and, and people are panicking. Like, I, I mean, it's almost like they ran out of money. Um, mm-hmm. And what what are some ways that, that people can connect um, in, in these close quarters during these times out, outside of television? Well, just sparking conversation would be a good start. You know, asking someone, hey, how are you doing? Or what are you going through? How is this affecting you? You know, this sounds like a very basic question, but there's so much in it because I think if you ask each person and if they're being very honest with you, there's a lot going on in their mind, especially those people who are saying, I'm running out, I'm watching Netflix, I'm going to Amazon Prime, and I, I'm running out of movies. I think those people in particular have a lot more to say. 
because it begs the question when you're burning through all those movies, like, why are you burning through all those movies? What is it that you're trying to distract yourself from so badly? Because kind of what I talked about, one of those like pseudo distractions, pseudo, um, pseudo exercises about what can help you get to know yourself better is like, okay, it's the TV or the film or stuff like that. Yeah. If you want to watch a little bit to kind of like give you a breather, fine. But if that becomes a lifestyle, so to speak, especially in nowadays, um, you wonder whether, you know, is it really serving the purpose of giving you a temporary break or are you trying to put a patch on something that's deeper? How are you um, coping through all this? Like, have you set up a daily routine? Like, what's your, what's your morning? Do you have a morning routine? Um, I, I wake up. That's part of my morning routine. <laughs> I like to wake up. Um, I usually pray, meditate a little bit um, have breakfast. You know, what this has done to me is that, of course, like I was also concerned in the beginning, beginning, I was very scared. I'm like, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. But now I think I've gotten to a place where it's like, okay, things are slowing down, but it's nice. And it's actually interesting because as the world is slowing down, I feel like my work is actually picking up because it turns out people have a lot of issues and especially this is putting a lot of stress on people. So it's, you know, they want someone to talk to. So it works out well for me in that arena. Um, So what's really nice for me is like I'm learning how to slow down and at the same time the universe is still providing for me. So that is something that I cherish very much. Uh, what I also like to do is I like to at least go outside for a little bit. You know, it's hard for me to stay indoors all the time. Um, I need to get fresh air. <laughs> I definitely need some fresh air. Um, I recently got a motorcycle, so I go on my motorcycle a little bit. That gives me a kind of way to, like, step out of myself. Um, just kind of, like, have fun, have a light time with myself. And... There was one other thing. Oh, yeah, journaling. Like you said, I, I, I'm doing journaling, too, which I find to be a very helpful way to outlet my emotions. Yeah, a lot of books have been written from journals, you know, just straight out the uh, right out the pages of the journal and, and into a book. So you, you never know what kind of uh, nuggets you're going to put in there. Sure. Uh, but to backtrack, you know. I don't want I don't want to uh, make it sound like uh, I'm 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 poo pooing on people who watch TV or too much because there is right. there's, there's valuable um, uh, ways to watch television. You know, me and my girl, we you know, like I said, we'll watch a movie or or whatever. But afterwards, I'll try to process with her and say, "Hey, you know, like, uh, what were your takeaways from that movie?" Like, she loves the movie, the Molly's Game which is about this mm-hmm. woman who was a, a hustler. And and uh, and so I asked her, like, what she liked about the character, what are the characteristics about Molly that uh, she was into. And then that helps me, it helps give me some uh, deeper insight into who my girl is and what she values and what to look for. See, I think that's a very responsible and guided way to watch movies. Because for you, it's not just, you're, just, you're not just checking out. But it seems like even though you're gaining pleasure or relaxation value from that activity, like your mind is still working. You're still trying to improve yourself. The fact that you are trying to think of these questions to come up with to have a more intimate relationship with your girlfriend um, or your partner is that's valuable. So I think even within watching television or watching movies, you can make it more constructive than not. And yeah, I'm not putting down people who watch movies or shows like i do the same thing so i'm i got you people (laughs) (laughs) i know what that's like uh but what i think what i am trying to promote is to do it even mindfully to really monitor what are your intentions what are you trying to accomplish because i'll say for me i do have a limit if i get to a point i'm like okay i'm done i can't i can't do this anymore this is too much i need to i need to go back yeah, and you can feel it. Like the same way your stomach gets full, your your brain or your emotions or like the oxytocin just isn't pumping out the way it was the first hour uh, right. of TV watching, you know, uh, all that dopamine, all that stuff. And you start to feel it's kind of like 
you know, uh, like you said, being outside, getting fresh air, uh, especially sun, getting vitamin D, so important. But there's a point where you're laying out there in the sun where you actually start to get tired and it's draining. And then all of a right. sudden you find that you, even though you want to leave, you're too tired or drained to get up. Like you, you just don't have the energy anymore. And uh, so to me, t- t- TV or anything can be like that, whether it's food, TV, sex, socialization, uh, socializing, all those things. Yeah, and I think that's why it's very important to monitor your intentions behind whatever activity you're engaging in. Because there's nothing to say that you can do all those things and you can still feel very anxious, you can feel highly depressed, you can still feel very suicidal, and you can't kick your addiction. So again, when you understand that these relaxation techniques are just just relaxation techniques, and you don't prioritize them in your life, you prioritize, you know, getting to know yourself. You prioritize getting to clarify your values. And you prioritize living an upright with truth, integrity, and kindness. When you make that the priority, I think then the way you engage in your distractions becomes much more responsible. But if you flip those, if the primary part of your life becomes to distract yourself, then that's where people run into a lot of problems. And it's look, it's hard for me to blame people because like the conversation you and I are having right now, Leo, I don't think people have this conversation much in society. This is a very unique conversation. I mean, I have these conversations with my patients. But other than that, I mean, and my, so my close friends, but I noticed that when I speak with people who are not used to having this conversation, it makes people think. And I like to think that that's a good thing. Because what I'm trying to do is, you know, model a way of living. Well, I'll say I'm doing it for myself, first of all, because I find a lot of meaning and value in this way of living. But I also find, also find that for people who are, have not been exposed to it, it really gives them a sense of relief, a sense of like, wow, I'm allowed to talk about that? I thought I'm not allowed to talk about that. And that can be very comforting for people. I mean, people don't necessarily say that. But when you do this long enough, you can kind of tell what people are feeling. You know, you can tell when someone feels like, wow, you just really hit the spot. Like that, I really needed to talk about that. I didn't realize how much this was weighing down on me. Are there, you know, in, in terms of a relationship and communication, it, it's so tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's also, it's tough to have it with yourself. Uh, are, are, is there a blueprint for how to um, peel back the layers for yourself. Cause, cause even though like I'm aware of a lot of things, there's, it's, I find that there are moments where it's still challenging for me mm-hmm. to uh, uh, reduce my anxiety. You know, I could have meditated and journaled and then, um, uh, but like, is there a, a click through like a, a series of progressive questions or is there an acronym or anything in terms of, managing the emotions sure i think it's very important to first of all identify what you feel and i know even that in itself can be a task because sometimes we're not completely accurate for example like i said sometimes people might say they feel very general things like i feel annoyed or wow this is a very interesting feeling without really being specific so one i think is very important to identify clearly how you feel Step two is to understand, why do I feel that way? What just happened that triggered this feeling inside me? And then step three could be, once you've identified what bothers you, then you can start to go even deeper and say, what does this remind me of? Because a lot of of the pains that we present with in the present time are actually rooted in past traumatic experiences that we've had. And relationships are a great example of all of this. Because, for example, people will fight, people will argue, people will get upset at each other, and they think it's because of something very small, something very superficial. But then when you get to the bottom of it, you realize like this person has been harboring a resentment about something that happened like 10 years ago. And it's not so far-fetched. I'm being generous with 10 for some people, it's longer than that. 
And finally, if you can find a friend, it doesn't just, it doesn't, I'm, you don't have to just find a therapist. I think if you can find a good friend, a friend who you feel understands you, that you can connect with, that is priceless. Because as human beings, we do have social needs and we want to connect. Of course, we want to connect with ourselves, but in our moments of weakness in particular, in our moments of vulnerability and sensitivity, we really want to be in the presence of somebody who gets what we're going through. And if you find that person, consider yourself very blessed because that can reduce a lot of the weight that you're carrying on your shoulders and make you happy or give you the ingredients so that you can stand up, you can be on your own two feet, you can keep your head high and look in the mirror and be, I like you, I'm doing good and we're going to do good today. But sometimes to get to that point, you have to be able to see yourself in the other light when you're not feeling so good, when you feel broken, when you feel shattered, when you feel like, oh, when is this going to end? Because those are all very normal experiences that people have. So when you, again, when it goes back to the truth, when you can recognize how you really feel and you can understand where it's coming from. And you can connect it to the source of where it originated from. I think then you have a very nice blueprint to create a very happy, confident, and peaceful life for yourself and the people who want to participate in that with you, around you. What, how do you find hope? Uh, uh, you know, we all struggle with uh, uh, moments where uh, it just feels a bit hopeless or overwhelming. What, what do you, at the top of the episode, we talked about uh, uh, tethering yourself to an anchor. What, what gives you hope? My relationship with God really helps me. You know, I'm an observant, practicing uh, Orthodox Jew. And for me, that is, that is a very central part of my life. You know, having a relationship with God. You know, people who are going through recovery from addiction, you know, there's a very big emphasis on having a relationship with your higher power if you go through 12 steps. So for me, you know, having that ongoing dialogue with God, you know, if for you it's not God, if it's a higher power, whatever it is that needs to make you realize that you are very small in the big world, but you're also very, you're a very important piece of this puzzle. When you can wrap your head around that, I think automatically the way you look at the world changes. And when the way you look at the world changes, your expectations change, the way you interact with life changes, and the way you feel about life changes. So really for me, you know, knowing that there's a bigger picture, knowing that every day that I'm alive, that was a conscious decision that God made to, to keep me alive, to know that, you know what, if I'm alive, that means that means I still have a purpose in this world. That means he could have taken me away, but he didn't because he needs me on this world. When I remind myself of that, when I remind myself of all the hardships I've gone through and that I've able to, been to overcome, that really helps me a lot. When I think about the, the experiences I've been through where I thought, okay, that's it. Like, I'm never going to get out of this. But then I realized like, oh, wow, like he pulled me out of it. I mean, I tried, I pushed. And sometimes I pushed really hard, dig deep inside to figure out what the truth is, access parts that are really ugly sometimes. That's where the right, that's where the light is really sitting. And so this, this kind of stuff, this kind of dialogue I have with myself and with God and with people that, I, you know, I really trust, these really help instill a sense of hope and purpose within me. You know, there's a guy, uh, David Goggins, and he talks about the cookie jar. And he said, uh, you know, you want to put in a cookie jar the obstacles that you've overcome so that when, mm -hmm. you, when you are feeling moments of, of hopelessness, you, you have a reminder. Because, you know, one of the interesting things in that uh, in the book of uh, neuroscience on suicidality, it talked about how a lot of uh, people who, who struggle with suicidality also have short-term memory uh, uh, issues. And mm -hmm. I think it may result from, because uh, they also talk about inflammation. And so mm -hmm. it, it made me realize that, you know, when you have those type of uh, challenges, 
memory uh, challenges that you you do forget the obstacles that you've overcome. You do forget uh, the people who showed you gratitude and thanks and love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion. And uh, and you your your brain your amygdala fires up and 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 goes to all the all the dire consequences and the traumas uh, of mm-hmm. your life. So when you talk about journaling, uh, journaling is a way to keep track or even a vision board. You know because if, sure. you, if you've been journaling for a long time, your those moments can get lost and you know nobody's making a table of contents. To, so that they can find it, but to to have it visible somewhere, uh, so that y- you are easily reminded. I, you know, I used to look down on people who not look down, but I always like I I, I like you know I have uh my ma- I have a degree and and from my bachelor's and my master's and had trophies and uh, all that stuff. I would just kind of like throw in a box and shove in a corner. And then I, I realized the importance of uh, putting those things up on a wall or, or, or building a mantle or a, a case for those so that you're reminded of the hardships and struggles and a path that you've been on. And, and then it encourages you that you can uh, uh, undergo uh, future obstacles and, and challenges and, you know, sure to give you hope. Absolutely. I mean, I think when you talk about suicidality and short-term memory, it's, it's very clear that people who are suicidal are very anxious and depressed. So they're under a lot of stress. And usually when people are under a lot of stress, it invari- invariably it affects their memory. It's very hard to retain information. Think about when you're happy, it's easier to remember stuff. You're more creative. You can come up with really good ideas when you're happy, when you feel joyful, when you feel like you got all the time in the world, it's easy to do that. But what happens is when a person is suicidal, they're very tunnel visioned. And again, it's emanating from a very pained place. They hurt a lot. And in my experience that when people are suicidal, what they really want is they just want someone to connect with them. They want to feel like they're not crazy. They want to feel like they're not, I mean, they're broken, but it's not bad to be broken. Because that's how the light gets in. So really to see that whatever you're going through, it's valid. Whatever you're experiencing makes a lot of sense. And any confusion, hopelessness, or helplessness that you might ex- be experiencing, well, of course, because if you look at any all these things you've gone through, you're reacting based on what you've gone through. So it makes a lot of sense. Now, couple this with the fact that I don't think many people in society are well-equipped. They don't have the sensitivity or they haven't really cultivated the sensitivity yet. I mean, some have and some haven't to really be able to tolerate the pain of what these people are going through. Because think about when you're hurt. When you're hurt, would you rather be with someone who's like happy and cheery or would you rather be with someone who's more like calm down? You want to go with the calm down one. Because if you see someone who's super happy, like, I can't, that guy will never get me. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. It's on a different wavelength. But you can be happy. It's, it's good to be happy, but know to be sensitive to your environment. So when you're talking, you can be happy. And when you're talking with someone who's suicidal, I think you actually will be more effective in helping the person. Because there's something about being happy that gives you a kind of grace. It gives you a kind of stability, and anybody really wants that, especially people who are in so much pain and so much hurt, because when you're happy and, and you're really confident, you'll be, be able to connect with that person, where they are, how they want you to connect, and that connection can be a source of immense healing for that person. Dr. Raymond Norman, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Again, being a guest and providing such valuable insights to myself and the listeners. Uh, Plug all your things. Where can people find you, connect with you? Sure. You can find me on my website at www.westlapsychologist.com. And you can also type in Raymond Normand. Uh, You can just type that in Google and it's going to come up. I got a Facebook page, LinkedIn page. 
and all that good stuff. Um, and as always, at, at the end of Asses of all the guests, um, I always, uh, I always imagine that there's someone listening in who's on a precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? If you're alive, there's a reason. Try to figure out what that reason is. Thank you so much, Dr. Norman. Thank you so much, listeners. Remember, rate it. Thank you all for rating it five stars on iTunes and sharing. Sharing is caring these uh, episodes. I appreciate it. And also go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. Thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. Thank you, Dr. Raymond Norman. Thank you all for listening in, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Leo. Thank you.